Statistics show that those of us born between 1965 and 1980 earn less, have more debt, and are more likely to have children with some form of developmental delays. We're also expected to be fully present in our home lives and our jobs. If we're married, there are frustrations at home. If we're single, we might not even be able to find a compatible partner. We're also of the generation that feels woefully underrepresented in the media. Social media makes us feel inadequate in myriad ways. We're just plain invisible in most other contexts. Thinking about all of this, plus a poor economy, spikes in crime, massacres in public spaces, and so much else, means we can't sleep. Or not very well, anyway. Ada Calhoun researched these and related issues for her book, Why We Can't Sleep, Women's New Midlife Crisis. This is Book Public from Texas Public Radio. I'm Yvette Benavides. The book, Why We Can't Sleep, Women's New Midlife Crisis, started out as an article for O Magazine, and then it went viral. It was so popular that readers clamored for a deeper dive and more information on the topics of the burdens women must shoulder and the tipping points they manage at a certain age. In a deeply researched book, Ada Calhoun brings us statistics and information about issues plaguing women from Generation X. The work is eye-opening and opens to the way to understanding and perhaps doing something to alleviate the unfortunate conflation of issues that emerge for women in middle age. We spoke to Ada Calhoun about her book, Why We Can't Sleep, Women's New Midlife Crisis. This is a very different sort of topic for a nonfiction work. How did you come to write this book and what was your process like? So I was having a rough summer and I got a call from a, um, an editor at Oprah.com saying that she also was having a rough time, and a lot of her friends were, and she thought there might be something generational to it, and she asked me to do a story for her. And I took a few months and did it, um, and in the course of doing that, I, I found that there were some factors maybe um, involved in how we were all feeling. Um, and the story went really viral, and then I got asked to do a book. Were you hesitant at all? Because there's so much here that's it's not that it's stigmatized, it's just that it's not talked about too much. Yeah, well, I mean, that was something that I that I found and that actually made me really angry. I thought there were a lot of things that I was learning that could have helped me not feel so terrible and so alone. I, I got angry that I had never heard the word perimenopause. For example, I went to my doctor's appointments every year and, and I, you know, read a lot of books and somehow no one had ever thought to mention that this was a, a really huge stage of life that I was about to go through. Um, so, so the book really is intended to help people who are in that kind of state that I was in um, when I was in my early 40s feeling all alone. Well, as the focus here is for women from Generation X or the sandwich generation in between boomers and millennials. So Yeah, so the idea is is middle-aged women and most of them fall into that category of Gen X uh that was born between about 1965 and 1980, but I've definitely heard from a lot of what they call elder millennials and younger boomers that they relate to quite a bit of what's in there too. Well, what makes this group different from for example, the boomer generation in terms of what we all sort of call a midlife crisis. Like, what are the variations on similar themes? Yeah, so I I argue that women from this generation were raised uh, in that sort of first flush of Title IX and being told you can be anything, even president, um, reach for the stars. But all of that ambition and those high expectations for ourselves kind of coincided with 
a really rough economic picture, a lot of bad luck in terms of timing, uh, and and just this real impossibility of achieving all of the things we were told we should be achieving effortlessly. And, and I say that, you know, we get to middle age and we haven't done a lot of the things we grew up thinking we would be able to do and do very well, and that can lead to a real crisis. And you are saying before that, I mean, the term perimenopause, it's not like in our everyday language. And there aren't even a lot of doctors or gynecologists who actually treat or specialize in a sort of menopausal uh, stage of of women's lives. So uh, this book, I think, can really open a lot of eyes and minds to all of the the myriad ways that um, that menopause uh, or the midlife crisis manifests. I'm so glad you say that. And, you know, this is something that obviously our mothers and grandmothers went through too, these changes in our 40s. It's it's like a second puberty. It's um, It can be it can be easy for some women, about 20% don't have symptoms, but about 80% of women um, do with something, either hot flashes or mood swings or sleeplessness or weight gain in, in ways that are disruptive to their lives. And, and, you know, and, and while our mothers and grandmothers often did work, you know, or were raising families, in some cases both, most women in middle age now are going through perimenopause while they're doing just a ton of caregiving and often working full-time simultaneously, while also having their phones in their pocket, kind of blowing up from morning till night. And it's, I argue that that combination of factors, that that level of pressure has led an awful lot of women to feeling really overwhelmed, um, and then also feeling that they should not be overwhelmed. They should be able to, like, condo their closets and meditate Mm -hmm. and get out of this funk they're in. And I say that, you know, it's not, it's not that simple. People will say, like, uh, get over it, buck up, as if it were that easy, if only it were that easy. Exactly. And and that was one thing that I found the women I interviewed, and I talked to a couple hundred, um, were all too willing to agree with. They would say, I'm so lucky, I have no right to complain. And I would really press them and say, well, you know, let's, let's forget about that part. Let's, like, talk about what you're going through. And in many cases the things that these women were dealing with were, were really daunting. I mean, it was a lot of stuff. Um, it was very hard. They were, in many cases, caring for young children and aging parents while working stressful jobs, while going through perimenopause, while dealing with various other community obligations. And you get to that level of stress, and can you really say at that point that you're lucky? I, I, I would say no. My mom used to refer to it as the change of life, but only when she was referring to uh, her own mother. And she never really talked about it in terms of her own <laughs> life. It's like she just couldn't even go there. And just the just that word change, the change of life, I mean, it really portended something really major and <laughs> terrible. Um, and I never really knew when I was younger what in the world it involved. Um so there, there's just so much to it. And I, I realize that this book took you years to, to research and to write, and obviously a lot of work went into this book. And then along comes COVID-19. Do you think about the ways that the timing of the release of your book is actually kind of serendipitous for the ways it could help women who were already struggling to begin with and but, but now have to deal with so many other uh, issues, you know, these anxiety-causing issues. Yeah, I mean, that's something that I 
have seen a lot on social media is people tagging the book and talking about how this is almost this inevitable next chapter, um, that a lot of the book says that we were on this, living on this edge, you know, paycheck to paycheck in many cases, really overwhelmed, um, just, just feeling like the other shoe was about to drop. And then this came along and it was the other shoe. It was, yeah. and, and it is hitting this generation in different ways once again. So a lot of us are dealing with our parents who are in the crosshairs of the disease, you know, in the, their 70s, 80s, 90s. And then we have our children coming home and we have to suddenly learn how to homeschool him uh, at the same time. And then there's this financial pressure and this job instability that I talk about in the book, which both those things have gotten much, much, much worse. So it, this also links to the idea covered in your book about debt. It's, d- debt is something that plagues a lot of people. But in your research, you found that Generation X has accrued quite a bit of credit card and commercial debt. Is that just a convergence of elements, the fact that we happen to be at a time and in a situation for a lot of us where there's just more access to more big box stores and more types of retail <laughs> for good or ill. Some of it is commercialism and, and spending, but then a lot of it is that the costs of so many basic things have gone up so stratospherically. So housing, health care, student loans, um, all of that is hitting our generation and younger generations in a way that it just didn't um, affect boomers. What's so interesting during this pandemic, sort of off the topic, is I just keep thinking, when this is over, I won't go to TJ Maxx. I I can save this money. I can keep on saving this money. But who knows? Yeah, I I had a similar experience (laughs) where, you know, we we love to eat out and get takeout and like, we're all so busy, right? So uh, my family and then, um, but not being able to do that and cooking all the meals at home and all that, I was like, huh, like our bank account has not changed. Like <laughs> it is just like, look at that. And so there, you know, I think there is, there is something to that boomer wisdom of like, just, you know, save a penny. Well, the, the other idea um, sort of connected to this pandemic question that I worry a lot about is this really stunning statistic, um, and I heard you also quoted in in an interview that you did, one in four women from this generation is on antidepressants? Yeah, Um, and and that was something that I heard again and again in these interviews I was doing, that that women who were struggling in perimenopause and with all the stresses of this period of life would go to their doctors and they would describe what they were dealing with and they would leave with a prescription for Prozac or something like that. Um, and in some cases, it would help. Uh, I did talk to women who who it helped, but then a lot of women told me it just didn't it didn't work for them. And and of course, there are a lot of studies showing that in many cases it doesn't work for for people. Um, and what I what I saw was just this this idea that like no, just just kind of medicated away, get rid of it. Um, and that women were telling me it it was so complicated. The things they were dealing with, there were there were there were so many factors to it. Um, the idea that they could just take a pill and it would be magically repaired, um, made them angry. They thought, you know, it's, it's, it's just, it's much more complicated than that. Why is this particular generational cohort so ignored or, or sort of <laughs> forgotten or um, taken for granted a little bit? I don't know. I, I'm not quite sure where I get that feeling, but there's something. Yes, there definitely is. It's, it's true that Generation X is smaller than boomers and millennials uh, and, and always has been and, and I think always will be. Um, 
However, we're, you know, we're still tens of millions of people, and yet the culture doesn't tend to pay a lot of attention to Gen X. We've been called the Jan Brady of generations because you, know, <laughs> you hear about boomers all the time and millennials all the time, and then somehow we're just forgotten. And you know, I think it might have something to do with how we grew up. We were the latchkey kid generation. We had to fend for ourselves quite a bit. And I, I think that's maybe carried on that like we are the ones who are kind of quiet and taking care of business and taking care of ourselves. In some ways, that's prepared us quite well to be caregivers in this crazy pandemic time. Also, I've been hearing from a lot of women online saying, it's almost like I've been training for this my whole life. Wow, that is so interesting. You know, I was reading a, a novel the other day, and it's set in 1976. And it has these young girls, these characters who were all born in 1966. And I was really struck as I'm reading the novel, and they were they seemed like very familiar <laughs> characters to me. I was born in 1966. Um, who uh, they were just always out and about riding their bikes, mm-hmm. sort of just free to ride their bikes and get in trouble and skin their knees and latchkey kids. You know, had to sort of find their way to school on their own and had to have all of these responsibilities. And the novel portends things for these characters as they get older. And uh, yeah, it's very much a sort of a Jan Brady, middle child sort of sort Wait, of What's existence. the novel called? I'll have to look that up. Great novel called Valentine by Elizabeth Wetmore. And all, so it's all of these uh, alternating points of view uh, of these women and they are the uh, mothers of these little girls. So it's very interesting to me to have sort of seen it depicted in the novel that way and to think about this idea of Generation X sort of, you know, just falling through the cracks. And so I think it's romanticized a bit, that, that independence that we had as children, the ability to go out in the morning on our bikes and run around and then come back for dinner. There was a a dark side to it, too, though. I I think a lot of it came out of the fact that 40% of us were children of divorce as a generation, and there was a sense not necessarily just of freedom for freedom's sake. It's so fun to be free, but that that there was no one home, Mm -hmm. Um, and and that that there was a freedom that that maybe in some families looked a little more like neglect. Yeah, and not to get too far off the, the topic, but... Now talking to uh, women around my age, um, around oh, the Me Too movement, it, sort of finding out that so many of my friends experienced something very traumatic as young girls because they were left to fend for themselves, and they, you know they were out out um, getting into dangerous situations, sort of in spite of. Uh, um, their best efforts. So, yeah, it's a, it's. I can see that there would be a dark side to it too. Um, you research dozens and and dozens of women and include the stories here, and they share details about these and other struggles. These are not easy things to share. Um, did you find though that women were pretty forthcoming? What I found often in these interviews was that. Um, that people wanted to talk. The women wanted to have these conversations. Um, you know, I had one woman who, as soon as we started talking, like started crying, and she said it was because no one ever asked about her. And that was something that was a recurring theme, that a lot of the women I talked to have 
do so much for other people. They're often caring for, for three generations at the same time um, while working and having the pressures of making money. And, um, and they just feel really overwhelmed and invisible in many cases. So many of them welcomed the chance to, um, to just talk. And I started to feel like a, you know, unlicensed therapist in some ways. Um, <laughs> but I think it was maybe a little more like a support group because they helped me a lot, too. As you know, in the world of nonfiction, the more specific the detail, the more you feel like this is so such an odd detail nobody can possibly relate, the more universally appreciated it can be. So mm-hmm. that's why I think there's something very useful and instructive. I mean, it's just beyond informative, all of this, you know, it's so grounded in research. But but it's just for a far broader audience than just women in midlife. Uh, I wish men would read this book. (laughs) Yeah, it's funny. I've been hearing actually from a number of men who've read it and that um, and Generation X men in particular have said that they related to everything except the perimenopause chapter. And one actually reviewed it, a man reviewed it for, I think, the New Republic, and he said that by the end, he thought he also was going through menopause. There's something to that, I think. <laughs> <laughs> Apropos of nothing, I'll just say this. I, I review a lot of books. We have mountains and mountains of books at my house, and, um, you know, my husband just kind of walks over them. Uh, but this one he picked up and he said, what's this? Why we can't sleep. You know? <laughs> and he was very interested uh, and, you know, was looking through it. So uh, there's something to it, I think. I'm glad. Well, you know, I had a, a, a friend of mine who's a, a writer who she was reading my book and she looked over and her husband was reading um, that book, Why, Why We Sleep. Oh. And she thought, and she thought that was so perfect because, of course, then he's you know reads a few pages. He's out by like nine o'clock, and she is up at three in the morning, staring at the ceiling. I was like, "It's perfect." <laughs> <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, Ada, thank you so much for talking to me. It's such a pleasure. Oh, it's a delight to, to be with you. Thank you so much. Ada Calhoun is the author of "Why We Can't Sleep: Women's New Midlife Crisis." This has been Book Public from Texas Public Radio. Write to us at bookpublic at tpr.org. Jacob Rosati composed our theme music. Bree Kirkham is our digital producer. Dan Katz is Texas Public Radio's news director. I'm Yvette Benavides.